I want to begin with a question to you. The question is this. What is frightening you this morning? Is something scaring you this morning? It might be a health crisis or an upcoming um, operation perhaps or some sort of difficult family situation or perhaps a relational uh, strain that you have encountered at work or maybe it's a, a financial difficulty of some kind, a problem or some other strain that is making you feel inadequate to the task, weak and afraid in the face of it. Moses was dead. Now Joshua found himself thrust into leading a huge group of tired, uh, complaining, restless people. Here was this group on the brink of battling their way into the promised land. They were weary and they were up against what John Webster has described as acute threats, internal disorder, external attack, and the persistent desire to ease difficulties by compromising the will of God. It was in that moment when Joshua felt inadequate to the task, when he felt weak and afraid. God said to him, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Now, earlier we asked you to have your Bible open. Some of you with your Bibles open can see that I didn't finish reading the entire verse. And we praise God that the verse doesn't end where I stopped. Listen, friends, in Joshua 1.9, God is not directing Joshua to simply pull up his bootstraps and stop being scared. That's not what's happening here. God is not saying to Joshua, Find in yourself, Joshua, within your own capacities, the will to be courageous in this situation. God is not saying to Joshua, hey Joshua, I'm, I'm pushing you into the ring with Mike Tyson in his prime while I stay over on the sidelines. Do your best. It is most blessed how Joshua 1.9 ends. Now watch this carefully. God says to Joshua, do not be frightened, Joshua, and do not be dismayed. Listen, for Yahweh, listen friends, for Yahweh your God is what? With you wherever you go. Ah, yes. My friends, Joshua could face his anxious situation. He could face this dire situation and be courageous in this situation because God was with him. Amen? 
Joshua's crisis did not depend on Joshua's capacities. God would be present, God would enable, God would equip, God would provide, God would fight. How many of you know we have a divine warrior? And so my friend, are you afraid of something this morning? Are you nervous about something that is pending? Well, there is a word from the Lord for you right now at this very moment in the midst of your trouble, there is gold for you from God in his word. So let's go to our preaching text. That was just the warm-up. Let's go to our preaching text with, with that part of Joshua's story still ringing, hopefully, in our hearts. So let's go to Psalm 56. Now, as we turn to Psalm 56, the first thing that we see is that little superscription up top. To the choir master, according to the dove on far-off terebinths, a miktam of David when the Philistines seized him in Gath. And I would bet that already some of us are struggling to maintain interest and stay awake <laughs> after we read that. Well, very, very quickly, it seems that Psalm 56 was to be set to a musical tune, a tune known to the original readers. And the tune was entitled, The Dove on Far-Off Terebinths. Uh, perhaps that tune was on the ancient Near Eastern pop charts at the time. Uh, we just don't know. But it was the tune that was to be used as this psalm would be sung in worship. Secondly, that word miktam probably means something like enduring inscription. Enduring inscription. So the psalm is a miktam, an, an enduring inscription that is written by David, and notice the occasion. The occasion of the psalm is when the Philistines seized David in Gath. Now, looking at the story of David in the Bible as it's recorded in the books of Samuel, this psalm would then coincide with, whoops, with 1 Samuel. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself here. I'm too excited. 1 Samuel 21, verses 10 through 15. When David, at this point, he's on the run from Saul, and he ends up in Gath, of all places, which just happens to be Goliath's hometown. So desperate had David been in his efforts to escape the crazed King Saul that David ended up in the enemy territory of Philistia, in the hometown of his deceased enemy, Goliath. In verse 1 of our psalm, David, in the territory of the enemy, is once again at prayer. David here is praying for the undeserved favor of God. The undeserved favor of God. Be gracious to me, O God. Or, look upon me in pity, O God. For man tramples on me 
All day long an attacker oppresses me. Now, the English word oppresses here, if you have that in your Bible, oppresses, is translated from a Hebrew verb that carries the idea of squeezing. Almost like you'd squeeze an orange, squeezing. The same Hebrew verb is used over in Numbers 22, verse 25, when the donkey presses or squeezes Balaam's foot against a wall. Same verb. Saul had been doing what? He'd been putting the squeeze on David, uh, trying in various ways to, to corner David. And now David is holed up in the enemy city of Gath, and he goes to God and he prays that God would be gracious to him, that God would take pity on him in the midst of the squeeze. Are you in a squeeze of some sort this morning? David continues his description of his trouble in verse 2. He's praying to God and he says, he's describing his trouble, my enemies, Lord, trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. Now notice, first of all, the repetition of that phrase, all day long. Have you noticed that already? It's found in this verse. We saw it in verse 1. We'll see it one more time down in verse 5. All day long. This gives us the picture that David's attackers were simply relentless relentless in their scheming. Their stamina in causing trouble was remarkable. The word trample in both this verse and in verse 1 can also be translated viably as pursue after or pant after, <laughs> right? Panting after, pursuing after, and indeed that's how the New International Version has decided to go here. The NIV has this, my enemies are in hot pursuit, that's how they translate the word, my enemies pursue me all day long. David was being hounded, David was being panted after, David was being persecuted and pursued by people who wanted him dead. Surely this was cause for David to be scared. Amen, human beings? For David to experience significant fear. Now I ask you once again this morning, my friend, are you afraid of something this morning? Are you nervous about something that is pending just over the horizon for you? If so, I encourage you strongly in the Lord to be a doer of verse 3. Be a doer of verse 3. David says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. He's praying to God. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Now let's linger over this verse for a moment in, in an effort to really try to digest what God is saying here. When I am afraid. What does David do in the first half of the verse? David acknowledges, listen, that it's indeed possible for him to be afraid. 
that there are indeed times when he is afraid. When I am afraid. Being afraid was something that was part of David's experience and it's part of ours. Yes? None of us should pretend in some sort of pious thing that we do that that we've never been afraid. None of us should pretend that, nor should any of us ever claim that it's wrong to be afraid. David says, when I am afraid, or more literally from the Hebrew text, in the day when I am afraid. In the day when I am afraid. Fear is something that we all experience on this fallen planet. It's something that we all experience. David affirms fear as a common experience, common even for the believer. Are you with me this morning? But here's the thing, friends. For us as believers, when we are afraid, we must always remember God. We must gravitate to Almighty God. When I am afraid, what does David do? I put my trust in you. Now, we are lingering over this verse, and I hope that you can see as we read this carefully in the verse, I hope you can see how fear and faith can be happening simultaneously. You see this? How fear and faith can be happening at the same time. As Charles Spurgeon put it, it is possible, he said, for fear and faith to occupy the mind at the same moment. One more time, it is possible for fear and faith to occupy the mind at the same moment moment. For the believer, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God, you know him. For the believer, our fear, our being afraid, our being terrified, scared, should drive us to God in faith. When I am afraid, it's a reality. I'm terrified. That's when I put my trust in God. Are you fearing the upcoming report of the doctor? Trust in God in your fear. Are you fearful of a meeting with a, a cantankerous co-worker who's harassing you? Go to God and trust him in your fear. Are you scared because of your financial situation? Throw yourself upon God in faith and say to God, I've got nothing. You are my all in all. I trust you in faith. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Now notice what David does not say here, friends, and notice very carefully. He does not say, when I am afraid, I stare at the crisis. Eh? When I am afraid, I stare at the crisis. He does not say, when I am afraid, I obsess over finding a solution by myself. He does not say, when I am afraid, I feed my fear by imagining, letting my mind go crazy with worst case scenarios. 
Now, I chuckle there because speaking personally, I've done all of those things that I just mentioned. I've done them too many times to count. No. David says that when he's scared, he puts his trust in God. Why? Because David knows that God is his shield. David knows that God is his strength. David knows that God is his rock when everything else is shaking. David knows that God is his provider and that God is his deliverer. Is God not your shield, your strength, your rock, your provider, and your deliverer? Is somebody in your life frightening to you? You know, if some person or people in your life are, are frightening to you, my believing friend, if you're afraid or fearful of somebody, please remember that although their power over you may seem to you to be insurmountable, their power is like that of a tiny spider mite compared to your God. Put it all in perspective under the Lord. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, living God. Joshua could go forward as a leader in the face of great danger into the promised land because God was with him. David, in his fear of powerful men, could trust God, who has unlimited resources, who is all-wise in his rule, who is a proven deliverer, my friend, you must know that this same God is with you also. Do you know that this morning? He's with you also. You are in union as a believer with Jesus Christ, the crucified, risen, almighty king who has all authority on heaven and in earth. In heaven and on earth. I got that wrong. Verse 4, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? In the days before David was on the run like this from Saul, David had received God's word that he, David, would be king. God's word or God's promise was that David would indeed reign in Israel. David praises that word from God. David trusts God to bring that word to pass. David knows in this moment that, listen, that mere human flesh, mere human flesh, mere human persons can do a grand total of nothing to change what God had promised. What can flesh do to me when God has given his word that I will become king? What real capacity do people have when that capacity of theirs is set against God and his revealed word? Psalm 33:11, the counsel of the Lord stands for how long? Forever. David refuses in his fear to yield to that fear. David knows his God. Friends, do you know 
this morning that the word that God speaks is trustworthy? You know that this morning? That what God has revealed is sure. Yes? That the promises God makes for his children are all true. And so here's what we must do, to paraphrase Ed Welch, here's what we must do for every single look at our fearful or terrifying situation, we must learn to take 10 looks at God and his word. Meditating on God's promises, immersing ourselves in God's wisdom, looking to God in faith. Would you practice this? Make it a discipline in your life. One more time, for every single look at your terrifying situation, take 10 looks at God and his word. Verse five, all day long, there it is again, they do what? They injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. I think that a slightly better translation from the original Hebrew to English is given here, actually by the NIV, All day long they twist my words. Ever had that happen? (laughs) Or NASB, all day long they distort my words. This has to do with the fact that David's enemies, listen, were taking what David said and they were misrepresenting it. Misrepresenting, and they didn't even have Instagram or Facebook but they were misrepresenting it, contorting his words so that they meant something else. Their thoughts against David were evil. Verse six, they stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited for my life. These adversaries of David's were obsessed, weren't they, with hurting him. They were obsessed with it. From the looks of this verse, they were employed at this evil purpose full time. They wanted to bring David down. Now listen, this desire that they had to hurt David, this takes on an even deeper significance when we consider this, looking at biblical theology, that David is the seed of the woman. That is, David descended in the lineage through Abraham, the lineage that was destined to bring forth Jesus Christ. Way back in Genesis 3.15, God promised that there would be, he promised that there would be enmity or strife between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent throughout the redemptive history, and significantly, for our purposes this morning, significantly, God declared in Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the serpent would bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. In Psalm 56.6, the word that the ESV has translated steps is literally heels. They watch my heels. It's the same word that's found in Genesis 3.15 where the seed of the serpent will strike the heel of the seed of the woman. Saul and his men, because they were the seed of the serpent, were fixated on harming David. 
striking the heels of David, who is the seed of the woman chosen of God to become king. Now, we're going to circle back very briefly to this whole idea of the seed of the woman as we end this morning, but for now, let's go on to verse 7. Just put that in your back pocket. So David asks rhetorically here now, still praying to God, for their crime will they escape? And the implied answer is an emphatic, no, they will not escape. David prays, in wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. That is, defend your great cause, O God. I'm looking at you, and we are all actors in this world, in the story that you, God, are unfolding. Defend your great cause against those who would try to hinder it or destroy it. To bring in Psalm 2 here, the nation's rage and the people's plot in vain. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed. The Lord will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. Here in Psalm 56, David is trusting the all-powerful God to act here and to fight just as we saw last week in Psalm 55. And then, my friends, we get the sweet honey of verse 8. I want you to listen to this, my fearful, shuddering, nervous friend. David says to God, You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? It's beautiful. This is a verse about God's accounting practices. About God keeping track. But keeping track or keeping account of what? Of our sufferings. Of the pains that we experience. We have a God, my friends, who keeps count of our tears. Yes. Who keeps count of our tears, who does not ignore our sufferings, but keeps record of them. They are precious to him and they are remembered by him. There is no suffering in this life that we experience that is in vain. And so I want to ask you very personally, what will it be like, my friend, when God, listen, when he fulfills Revelation 21.4, for you. When he tenderly, imagine, mightily and lovingly wipes away every tear from your eyes. 
in that great moment that is coming when pain, mourning, death, and crying are deleted forever from our reality. What will that be like for you as you consider your experiences on this fallen planet? What will it be like for you? We have a God, I want to remind you this morning, who sees the death of every little sparrow who numbers the hairs on our heads. And I've heard that passage preached so many times by preachers like me with no hair, who always say, in some cases, there's more hair to number on our heads. But he numbers the hairs on our heads. He says to you that your sufferings matter to him, that they are taken up by him. Amen? Verse 9, David expresses more confidence now with faith, even as he's afraid. He says, then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call, when I pray to my almighty, powerful God. And then a tremendous affirmation of faith and confidence in God. This I know, came out in Robert's prayer earlier, that God is, say it with me, for me. God is for me. Think about it. This is the one who created the Pleiades and Orion up in the night sky. This is the one who right now is sustaining every physical law that he set up in the universe. If not for God and his created law of friction, this pulpit would fall apart right now. The organ, the entire building would collapse. God is sustaining us and sustaining his universe right now. And this God is for me. (laughs) Wow. Romans 8.31. Maybe you know it by heart. If God is for us, who can be against us? What can flesh do to us if God is for us? What can flesh do? The worst that flesh can do to us is to kill us. And even then, friends, we are commanded by our Lord Jesus Christ not to fear, right? Didn't Jesus say in Matthew 10, 28, in such a liberating way, (laughs) he says to us, do not fear those who kill the body. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus wants us to transfer our fear, to transfer our reverential awe to the master of the universe, to God himself who has almighty power over both the body and the soul of every single human being on earth. It doesn't matter who they are. If your fear is misplaced, my friend, then these words of Jesus will help you. Back to our psalm, verse 10, echoing verse 4, in God, in Elohim, whose word I praise, in the Lord, Yahweh, whose word I praise. Commenting on this verse, one of my former professors, Jim Hamilton at Southern says, 
those who love God, listen to this, those who love God and want to worship him, find him where? In the special self-revelation he has made of himself in the word. He says, David clearly has no qualms about rightly trusting in and praising the goodness of God's word. Friends, in God's word, what do you discover? You discover how much God cares for you. In God's word, you see clearly that at the end of the day, flesh and blood can do absolutely nothing to you. In God's word, you behold how praiseworthy he is, what an immeasurable treasure he is. In your hour of fear, trust in God. Live in his word. Renew your mind and heart by what he has revealed. Well, very quickly, let's go to verse 11, which repeats the sentiment of verse 4. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. So David in this psalm, he said, I'm afraid and I'm not afraid. Both both are happening. (laughs) I'm afraid, I'm not afraid. What can man do to me? And then the final verses of the psalm, verses 12 and 13, where in anticipation of how God will rescue him, in eager anticipation of how God will save, David says, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. Now here David is not attempting to bribe God in any way into acting, nor is David performing vows, rendering a thank offering as any kind of payment for the help of God? No. This is David simply worshiping God. This is David being devoted to the God in whom he trusts for deliverance. Why? Because God, David loves God. David loves God and David takes God as his treasure. David is eager here to bring his worship to his great God even in his hour of fear. Now for verse 13, Um, John Goldengay, who is uh, an Old Testament scholar, he has suggested here that we render it this way. For you will have delivered my soul from death. For you will have delivered. That is, the deliverance is still future to David. But in God's economy, it's already a done deal. For you will have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Now, notice how this psalm has moved. The first verse had David being trampled on by enemies. The last verse has David joyfully doing some trampling of his own, walking before God in the light of life. Spurgeon said, in this short psalm we have climbed from the ravenous jaws of the enemy into the light of God's presence, a path which only faith can tread. My friend, your fear, your being afraid, is an opportunity. It is an opportunity to trust your wise and powerful God, to exercise faith and dependence on him. Won't you allow your fear 
to drive you to God. Allow your situation of alarm to cause you to fall at his feet in reliance. And be strong, my friend. Be strong not in your own capacity. Be strong not in your own limitedness, not in your own faltering weakness. But as Ephesians 6.10 says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of whose might? Your own might? In his might. Be strong in union with the crucified and risen and soon coming Jesus Christ, who, like David, and perhaps like you, had people lying in wait for him. Luke eleven fifty four. Jesus, who, like David, and perhaps like you, was hated by the establishment types and persecuted and opposed by them. Remember very well, disciple of Jesus Christ, that the Lord had to pass through suffering to glory. Yes? That the cross happened before the resurrection and the ascension, and that you and I as his disciples are not above our master. There is suffering in this life before glory. Acts 14.22, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. The risen Jesus Christ has promised his mighty abiding presence with us in our moments of fear. The one who suffered incomprehensibly on the cross to do what? To forgive us our sin before God. The greater David, the seed of the woman who crushed the serpent's head in decisive victory by his cross and resurrection, the one with all authority and power, the one who holds the very keys of death and Hades, yes, he has promised to never leave you or forsake you, and his promise is true. He has promised that what he has begun in you will be brought to completion on the day of Jesus Christ, that not even death will separate you from his love, neither will distress or danger or persecution or tribulation. So run to him. Trust in him. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, for many... Uh, Listening, uh, fear is a reality. There's something wrong in many lives, Lord. And I pray that your spirit by your word has been pleased to redirect the focus of minds and hearts to you, to trust in you, to see you as trustworthy and faithful and mighty and powerful. For others of us, Lord, perhaps we've come through a fearful time but are on the other side of it. May we minister to and have compassion on those who are fearful. Father, help us to be the community of God, upbuilding one another, leading each other to maturity in Christ. I pray in Jesus' name.